This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. Well, this in this particular session, we're going to continue to talk about the courts of heaven. And what I want you to realize about the courts of heaven is that, is that you can address almost any issue in the courts of heaven. I don't care if it's a family issue. I just had a book that's come out called Receiving Healing from the Courts of Heaven and how to deal with legal issues that are prohibiting people or yourself from being healed. Um, it's, it's, it's doing very well. It's been number one uh, on Amazon, and so there's a lot of interest in it. Uh, all the books on the Courts of Heaven, if you want to, you know, you can go to my website, roberthenderson.org. I didn't bring any books with me. Or you can go to Amazon. They're on there. Or, uh, you can find them all over. There's, there's three books on the courts of heaven, uh, Operating in the Courts of Heaven, Unlocking Destiny from the Courts of Heaven, and then the third one is Receiving Healing from the Courts of Heaven. There'll be a, a fourth one that'll come out that's called Prayers and Declarations that Open the Courts of Heaven. Uh, there's another one coming out next year in 2019 that's called The Cloud of Witnesses and the Courts of Heaven. I mean, it's just a non-ending thing. So, so what, what, the reason I brought that up is because you can address almost anything from the courts of heaven. What I want to deal with today is unlocking wealth from the courts of heaven. Okay, unlocking wealth. Because let me just, I mentioned this last night several times. In James chapter 5 and verse 4, we see that when our finances, okay, when finances that belong to us cry out and we agree with it, God judges oppressive economic systems. I mean, you know, there are oppressive economic systems. You guys would know this. What are those? Those are, system, those are systems that hold people in poverty and will not allow them to prosper beyond a certain point. God wants to break that. And I'm telling you, he's going to break that across the nations. And then you go over to Malachi chapter 3, and what did we see last night? That when we bring our offering, an offering in righteousness, it actually speaks as a testimony and gives God the right to, again, judge oppressive economic systems because God wants to break. See, see, God doesn't, doesn't want just a handful of people to prosper. He wants a whole nation to prosper. He wants increase to come. But as with everything else, it all hinges on us as God's people taking our place in the spirit and be, being, being, uh, doing the things that we need to do. So I want to talk to you and get as much of this in this morning as I can on how to unlock wealth, not only on a personal level, but even on a national level. How many of you believe if we're a real ecclesia, if we're a real government of God, we can see some things done in this room? Well, what? Let me explain this to you real quickly. When we talk about being the church, Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. That's, we know that's the Greek word ecclesia. And, and I was taught my whole growing up years, well, that's the called out ones, and that's true. Ecclesia does mean called out ones, but that's a partial definition. Because if you look at an ecclesia in Roman and Greek culture, which is what Jesus was in when he spoke the word, the ecclesia was, among other things, a group of elders that met in the city gate that governmentally made decisions that determine life in that city. So all of a sudden, an ecclesia is not just the called out ones. It's the called out ones for governmental purposes. 
So you got to understand that because otherwise we don't understand who we are and we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. We're the called out ones for governmental purposes. So what does that mean? What's a government? A government is a small number of people that represents the large number of people. That's a government. A small number of people that represents a large number of people. In other words, you have people in government that are making the policies that are determining life in Zimbabwe because they're the government. You may like them, you may not like them. It doesn't matter. They're in government. They're the small number, and because, and as a result of that being the government, the, the decisions they make determine life in the culture. Right? Is that government? Okay, watch. God says we're his government. So you got to understand, when we come together in a gathering like this, we're the government of God. Our worship should do more than change the atmosphere of a room. It ought to change the atmosphere of a nation. Watch. Our giving, our giving as it speaks in the courts should do more than change the financial status of a church. It ought to change the economy of a nation. Because we're God's government. Because we're making decisions in this gathering that far that reaches much further than just our own personal lives. You got to understand who you are. Or we don't understand what we we've been called to do. Is that making sense to you? So 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 when I talk about us standing in the courts of heaven, we're not just making decisions for ourselves. We're making decisions that can shift things in the spirit realm that can cause life to change in a nation, in a whole culture. Amen. You have to learn to think that way. We have to learn to think that way. Okay, so when we talk about changing the economy of a nation, that's why, that's why I believe we can do that. We can do that. We can release such a spiritual force from the court of heaven that we can see things shift. The economies of a nation begin to shift. God began to set things into divine order so that systems that have held people in poverty began to break so that prosperity is not contained in just a few. Prosperity and wealth begins to, to become the normal for a whole culture and a whole nation. Amen. So let's talk about that this morning. From the courts of heaven. So having said what I just said, I want to talk about how to unlock wealth from the courts of heaven. But before we can talk about unlocking wealth, we need to know what wealth is for. You see, if you don't know the purpose of a thing, it'll be misused. We will misuse a purpose. So I'm going to do this real quick because I want to get to the bottom part of the teaching this morning. Number one, wealth is for the purpose of meeting necessary needs. That's what wealth is for. Paul told his, his workers in Titus 3 verse 14, and let our people also learn to maintain good works. That means have a job. To meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. So God said, look, you, you need to be productive. You need to be active. You need to take action, and I understand the, uh, you know, the unemployment rate here in Zimbabwe is, is you know, 95%, some terrible amount. But listen, God says, look, I, I want you, I, I, let me just put it this way. I was in a church, particular church in Africa several years ago, many years ago now. And the, the leader, the, the apostle of that church had taught his people. 
If all you can do is go bag up dirt, bag up dirt. His point was be productive, be active, be moving forward. And all of a sudden, their people began to prosper. And the word went out, if you want to be prosperous, go to that church. Now, how many know that is actually a spiritual principle? That Listen, when you come and become a part of a local house, you began to partake of the DNA of that house. And blessings can begin to come upon you. It can begin to overtake your life because of where you're connected. Because spiritual connections are very, very important. You're not going to get prosperity from something that doesn't have prosperity in it. But you will get prosperity, and you can tap something of prosperity when you are connected. And the biblical word actually is aligned with that which is prosperous. Okay, let me give you a second thing that, that, that wealth is for. Wealth grants you the privilege of choice. You see, if you don't have wealth, then you don't have any choices. In other words, if I have just enough money to get by, then I know what I've got to use that money for. But if I have wealth, now I have choices. And you think, oh, that would be wonderful. Well, it is wonderful, but i got to tell you, it also requires responsibility. Because the more wealth you're trusted with, the more responsibility that comes on your shoulders regarding that wealth. And why? Because the Bible says all the silver and gold belong to the Lord. So when God trusts you with wealth, you have the responsibility of rightly stewarding that wealth so that you do the right things that God intended for you to do with it. So when wealth comes, there is a granting of choices that we now have. Decisions that we have to make in regards to the wealth that we carry. Let me give you a third one. A third one is, getting into the bulk of it, wealth grants you influence. Wealth will grant you influence. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 14 through 16. It talks about in a little city, there was a, a, a man, a king came against it, a man, a poor man, through his wisdom, spared the city. But when it was all said and done, nobody remembered the poor man. Watch this. Even though he had through wisdom spared it because his poverty did not allow him to have any real influence. What's the, what's the principle? The principle is this. Wealth grants you influence. Wealth grants you influence. Let me just explain it to you this way. I know many people have many different views, so I'm not here to, put, uh, to uh, get into political things, but I don't want to say this. Our president now, President Donald Trump, he is president for one reason. One reason alone. He's a billionaire. That's why he's president. Because he was able to pay for his own campaign, and so as a result, he is now president because he's rich. If he wasn't rich, he would not be president. That's just fact. Because his wealth allowed him to have influence that he parlayed and stewarded in to him now being the president of the United States of America. Now, you also got to know this. Because he was rich before he was president, nobody owns him. Nobody, nobody gave him money 
to become president. He's president because he was independently rich and nobody owns him and that's why they hate him so much. Because no one can tell him what to do. Because no one gave him money on the side to become president. Why? Because his wealth granted him influence. See, God's looking to give his people wealth so they can have influence. Because whoever has the money is the ones that influence and they determine what society looks like. If we're going to change society, if we're going to change culture, somebody's going to have to have some wealth. And God said, I will give you power to get wealth. Now watch, he didn't say, I'll give you wealth. He said, I'll give you power to get it. We'll touch that again in just a moment. Number four, wealth produces the empowerment to produce reformation. Wealth produces the empowerment to produce reformation. Let me put it this way. You will never reform anything without money to do it. That's just true. We can do all sorts of things spiritually, but if those spiritual things are going to have natural outworkings, there's going to have to to be money. A a great thinker, a man named Dennis Peacock that's an economist, said this. He He said, finances is the engine that drives reformation. Finances is the engine, the motor, that drives reformation. That if you're going to see a reforming of culture, if you're going to see a nation change, watch, the right people have to have the money. The right people. See, our problem is the wrong people have had it. And so reformation is a picture of the ones who have the money. Or a nation is the picture of the ones that have the money. So we've got to get the money in the hands of of the right people because they will use the money to produce reformation. Any society is a reflection of those who have the money. This is true. God says, I want my people to have the money because they'll have the right value system, they'll have the right worldview that will allow them to now use that money as an engine to drive reformation and to see culture shift and change until it's a reflection of the kingdom value system of God. Watch when heaven really does come into earth. Amen. Deuteronomy 8.18, this is what God says. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So when he says establish his covenant, among other things, it means his covenant within the social realm and the cultural realm of society. That God has a heart to redeem everything. You understand that he, he, listen, Mark 16, you got to get this. Mark 16, he said, go preach the gospel to all creatures. 
Okay, that's a personal thing where, where each individual person hears the gospel and gets born again. But then in Matthew 28, 19, he said, go make disciples of nations. See, Mark 16 is go preach the gospel, get them evangelized, saved, healed, born again, delivered, all that. But Mark, Matthew 28, 19 is a commissioning to go change culture. Because we're called to do both. You aren't called just to get people to go to heaven. You are called to get heaven into earth until culture and society is a reflection of heaven. You see, my eschatology, I say, I tell people, I don't care what your eschatology is, what your view of end times is, but you better leave room for reformation of culture in it. Because in my eschatology, the devil doesn't take everything over. In my eschatology, Jesus said, I want to redeem all things. Not only do I want the one saved, I want culture redeemed. And that's going to take massive amounts of wealth and finances. God wants to reclaim the culture of Zimbabwe. But it's going to take money. It's going to take wealth. God wants to give us power to get wealth. Let me just give you four things that that scripture, Deuteronomy 1, 8, 8, 18. He said, first of all, remember God in the midst of your wealth. See, one of the reasons, one of the reasons why God can't trust us with wealth sometimes is because it pollutes us. And it's not that, it's not that wealth's wrong. It's that our hearts aren't prepared. And so we forget God when wealth comes. And that was his caution in Deuteronomy 18. Don't forget me. When you begin to experience blessing. Okay, the second thing, don't, uh, uh, he doesn't give wealth, he gives the power to get wealth. So that means creative ideas, that means right positioning, that means favor, that means uh, uh, um, ideas and concepts that begin to come. In other words, he says, I'm gonna trust you with something that if you handle it correctly, it will in the end produce wealth. But he doesn't give us wealth. He gives us the power to get wealth. See, here's, here's another thing. His covenant purposes are done in the earth. Culture shift. Okay, D, accumulation of wealth is a generational issue. Notice what he said. He said, I will give you the power to get wealth that I might establish my covenant in the earth as I swore to your fathers. See, we look at ourselves and we say, well, I could never have, I, 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 I barely get by. I barely scrape by in my life. How am I going to have wealth to change a culture? Well, you do it from a generational mindset that I'm going to accumulate wealth. My children are going to accumulate more wealth. Their children are going to accumulate more wealth. And their children are going to accumulate more wealth until all of a sudden that which we started with is not that which we have ended with. And that over the course of generations, Wealth continues to increase. Now, I could share some things, but I don't have time to do that. I just wanted you to hear that. Okay, God wants to change culture through the accumulation and the releasing of wealth. Let me give you a fifth thing that wealth is for. Wealth is to be enjoyed. Now, see, y'all haven't said amen at all. Now, you get, now you're saying amen. That's okay. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this world... Not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who richly gives us all things to enjoy. You see, some people, they have an idea that wealth is evil. 
No, wealth is not evil. God said, I will actually give you wealth, and one of the reasons for me giving you wealth is so you can enjoy it. I know some people that they can't even enjoy the wealth they have. I'm like, give it to me. I can, I can enjoy it. Because, see, see, God wants us to enjoy the blessings he sends into our life. Years ago, when my, when my wife and I were leading a work in Waco, Texas, some of you may have heard of Waco, Texas, from years gone by. It kind of became infamous. But we were in there. We, we had raised up an apostolic city. We were leading the work. And, and I won't go into the whole story, but we ended up building a very, very nice home because we knew it was God, and, and we had gotten blessed, and we're prosperous, and so we built this home. And in the back of my mind, I was a little concerned because I thought, now if the church folk ever see this house, they may have a problem. And so I'm praying one morning, and I'm not really worried about it. I didn't think, but it was kind of hanging in the back of my mind. And so I'm praying one morning. I'm not even thinking about the house that's in the process of being built. I'm praying one morning, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, I hear God so very clearly. And I hear him say this to me. This house is my gift to you for your years of service to me. He was giving us something to enjoy. And at that point, I thought, I don't care who has a problem with it. If it's God's gift to me, then that's just their problem. Because that's what he said to me. This house is my gift to you for your years of service to me. How many of you know he's a good, good father? He loves us. He wants to increase us. He wants to enlarge us. He wants to give us richly all things to enjoy. So, yeah, we, we're, we're supposed to steward wealth for his kingdom purposes, but part of his kingdom purpose is you. And he wants to bless you. He wants to increase you. Okay, having said all that, let's move into this. Why do we not see wealth come? Well, we can say, well, you know what? I'm not wealthy because of the system I'm in, and that does play a role. But how many of you know God's bigger than any system? I mean, I think what, what, what our brother before was saying, that God can take us, regardless of where we are, and if we're just obedient and faithful to him, he can reposition us and do the, the miraculous and move us into places of great influence. That we don't have to be born into some kind of a family of privilege to get that. See, and, and you got to hear this. It's really, really easy for us sometimes to say, well, if I, had, if I was where you are, and if I was positioned to where, where you are, and if I was born in America, and if I was you know, here and I was there, then, then, then my life would be different. Well, that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. But I want you to hear, it doesn't matter where you are. God wants to take us and move us to where he wants us to be. And listen, the, the natural restrictions that are upon people and cultures does not dictate to God what he can and cannot do. Okay. Now you say, well, you, you probably came from, no, I did not come from wealth. I came from anything but wealth. I grew up in a little bitty town of 2,500 people in a very average, lower, middle income family. We didn't have money. But God, and God had to, because of the way I grew up, 
God has had to break me out of a poverty mindset that would have dictated what I would or would not have had. And he used two things, his spirit and my wife. My wife would challenge me. My wife would, because from my religious background, my attitude was, I don't need money. Money's not important. And my wife would come along and she said, well, it may not be all important, but it's important. Because she didn't grow up with money either. But watch, she came from a lower income status than I did. But let me tell you the difference. She was not possessed and controlled by a religious spirit, which I was. Literally, because she had not grown up in the church, she did not think the way I thought. Because even though we came from similar economic backgrounds, the religious spirit on me would have denied me the place of blessing God wanted me to walk in. And because it wasn't on her, because she didn't grow up in the church, she was easily out of it. She had no problem with prosperity and wealth and blessing. So she would challenge me. She would challenge me. I mean, she became a Christian, obviously. We got married. And she would, she would challenge me. She said, I don't think that's right, Robert. And I said, but wait a minute. This is, no, I don't think that's right. And she helped me. She helped me move out of some of that stuff. A lot of that stuff. Does that make sense? So watch. Why are we not moving into wealth? Okay, let me tell you. One of the reasons is because there's something legal that's resisting us. See, you can do all the right stuff, do everything you need to, but if there's something legal resisting you, then the enemy has a right to deny you the blessing that God's word promises. Because there's issues in the court of heaven that we need to deal with. So let me give you some of those issues real quickly. Number one, the devil uses our agreement with the religious spirit. I just mentioned that. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. This is Paul talking about finances. 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9 is exclusively about finances. It is not about spiritual stuff. It's about Paul sending Titus back to teach the Corinthians how to give. And, to ha- and, and putting into them a grace of giving that he hadn't, and watch this, he had not put in them when he was there. Because he was making a distinction between himself and the false apostles that wanted their money. So he said, because of that, I purposefully robbed other churches, is what he said in Corinthians, to preach the gospel to you. But you're going to have to get this issue concerning money or you're going to be stunted in your growth and your effect that God wants you to have as a church. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he is talking about how he sent Titus back to them to put into them what he had not put into them in their beginning. Are you getting this? So here's what he says. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Now, if you read that with a religious perspective, you think he's talking about spiritual stuff. Well, he wants us rich spiritually. That is not what this scripture is dealing with. It's literally saying that Jesus Christ 
who was rich. We said, well, yeah, we know he was rich in heaven. No, he was rich on the earth. Listen, they gambled for his robe because it was so expensive. He owned houses. Listen, the myrrh, frankincense, and gold that they brought to him at two years of old, the wise men, would have been enough for him to be a multimillionaire through all, his whole life. He was not poor. And by the way, the reason that Judas wanted the money bag was because they had so much money. He wasn't stealing from an empty money bag. There was money in it. It's just true. So when it says he was rich, it's not just talking about all the glories of heaven. No, he was rich. But when he hung on the cross, watch, he traded away every heavenly and earthly richness that he had. He made a trade. He traded it away, and it says that he became poor. Why? That we might become rich. That we might become rich. So when it says that we might become rich, as someone once said, they looked that word up, rich. They found out. Guess what it means? Rich. It means to have an abundance. Why? Because if God's going to change culture, if God's going to fulfill his covenant in the earth, if God's going to not just get people saved, but literally see heaven invade the cultures of nations, if that's going to happen, the church has got to have the money. So he wants to transition us out of a poverty spirit and into a place of richness. He wants to bless us with wealth. Amen? But watch our partnership with the religious spirit. Because if you read that scripture and you interpret it religiously, you say, oh, yes, brother, I am rich in spirit. Well, that's wonderful. But God wants you to be rich in the natural as well. He wants you to be prosperous. He wants to trust you with money and finances as those that belong to him. Okay, number two, the second thing we have to deal with is the devil uses our agreement with the poverty spirit. The religious spirit and the poverty spirit are joined together. It's quite interesting. Proverbs 6, verse 9 through 11. It talks about being lazy, all these kind of things, folding the hands. It says, so your poverty shall come upon you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. I think it's really interesting. First of all, it says your poverty. It's something assigned to you. You see, some of you have a poverty spirit assigned to you. Therefore, you can never prosper. It's your poverty. It's coming out of your bloodline. Everything's always been beset by poverty. It's your poverty. And it says it comes like a prowler and like an armed man. So watch this. Poverty isn't an economic status. Poverty is an entity. Poverty is a spirit. So watch, when you're dealing with, we need, and watch, it operates against you because it has a legal right. It's yours. It's assigned to you. You need to go into the courts of heaven and get its legal right revoked so that poverty no longer can determine who you are, but the blessing of God can. I say it's not mine. Everybody say, poverty's not mine. Come on, poverty's not mine. It may be in my history, but it doesn't belong to me, 
and I don't belong to it. So we need to go into the courts. And we need to stand and we say, Lord, we repent for every agreement with religion, every agreement with poverty. We repent of it. And we're asking that that which would seek to, to, to claim ownership over us, that its rights are revoked. Watch, so that regardless of what's happening in society and culture, I prosper. Isaac sowed in the days of famine, the year of famine, and received a hundredfold blessing and increase. Why? Because he was not subject to what was going on in culture. So if we can get this stuff off of us, then listen, culture will not dictate to us what we get or don't get. It's not mine. Poverty's not mine. Number three, the devil uses, and this is, he builds case against us by using the history of bad stewardship. If we've not been faithful, in Haggai chapter 1, verse 2 to 7, God says, look, the reason your money bags have holes in it is because you have taken that which was supposed to be God's to build God's house, and you built your own houses with it. If we have not been faithful, just faithful in stewardship, but especially in faithful which, that, which belongs to God, that which God claims. If we have not been faithful with that which is his, then it gives the enemy a legal right to build a case against us and claim the right to bring lack and need into our lives. We have to be faithful with the tithe, with our giving, with our first fruits. We have to be faithful with that which God has claimed. Because in Haggai, because they had not, because they had built their own house rather than the house of God, it says their bags, their money bags had holes in them. So we have to repent for those kind of things. Listen, you say, well, God knows. No, no, the, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about God doing something to you. God's not doing this. The enemy takes this as legal rights to build cases against us. Remember what I said to you last night. Your money in the spirit realm is either speaking for you or it's speaking against you. We want it saying the right things. Number four, the devil uses our agreement with demonic powers in our ancestry. In other words, if there are covenants made with demon powers in our ancestries, then we have to undo those things. Because he will say, I have a right to afflict them with poverty because they and their bloodline was given to me by a sacrifice somewhere back in our history. Now, we don't get this too much in America. We don't understand it, even though it's a true principle for us. But you guys in Africa get this. So you have to go before the courts of heaven and say, Lord, I say, this is what I do. I say, I say, I say before the courts, that according to Colossians 2.14, every handwriting of ordinance that was against me, Jesus took that out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So I'm saying that any agreement with the satanic and the demonic from my bloodline, I say the blood of Jesus speaks for me and annuls those covenants so that these things no longer have a right to claim me. And I say that as for me and my house, my bloodline, we shall serve the Lord. We are bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus. I say before the courts, let that be recorded and let that be known that there is no rights of the enemy to affect me or control me or determine my destiny ever again. And you stand before the courts and do that. We're just touching some of these. Number five, 
The devil uses wrong ideas about God to build cases against us. There's a story in Luke chapter 19 of the parable of the minas or the minas. It was a currency. You got to get this. So everybody's given a mina. Some get three, return three, some return five, some, re, some make as much as ten. I love this. One didn't do anything with it. We know the story. He hit it. So when the, the Lord, the master of the house, comes back, he begins to investigate and call into an account what they have done with his currency he left them. And he greatly rewards and blesses those who have produced something with what he gave them. It's like the one that got uh, produced ten more got rulership over ten cities. Now, this is important. The one, though, that didn't do anything with it, here's what he said. He said, take it from him and give it to the one that has ten. Now, <laughs> the others that have been blessed by this master says this, but Lord, he has ten. See, they were socialist in their mentalities. They believed there should be a redistribution of wealth. That everybody should have the same thing. That the government should own it all and then dispense it. Watch. They didn't understand how God operates. They said, Lord, it's not right. He's got ten. Give it to, some, give it to one of these others that has less. It's not right that you should give it to the one that has ten. Watch what happens. You say, why would God do that? Very simple. He's a good businessman. And he's going to trust his stuff to those who produce the most with it. He didn't give it to the one. See, this is not a pity party. This is not a charity. Oh, God, my life is so hard. Why don't you please give me? Listen, you're living like the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap. And yet God takes care of them. But listen, listen to what they get. They peck out a live, little living. Because the birds of the air do not apply the principles of the kingdom. So they peck out a little living. But those who understand the principles of the kingdom, they take the master's goods and they produce something with it. So when the master says it's time to, to give the ones more, he gives his stuff to those who have produced the most with it. So here's the issue. If you want something from God, do something with what you already have. Quit using the little that you have as an excuse not to do anything with it. And use what you have. Because if you'll be faithful with what you have, God will give you more. But the idea that God's just going to give me more because he's going to have pity on me is not a kingdom principle. He gives it to those who have produced the most. And I actually felt, I just want to say this, as, as our brother was ministering earlier, I felt when he's talking about acceleration, I really felt, uh, Apostle Tom and Bonnie, I really felt the Lord said to me that he, is, he, is, he has and is going to take. You, in other words, I heard him say that, I felt I really strongly heard him say that because you have produced with what the Lord has given you, God is going to trust you with more. And there is going to be an acceleration, an accelerant that is poured upon this ministry that is going to just bring greater and greater and greater increase. Why? See, see, in the natural, you got to look at it. We say, well, why, did you, why wouldn't God bless this little church over here struggling? Because they ain't done nothing with what he gave them in the first place. 
Now, I'm not, I'm all, God, listen, we don't despise the day of small beginnings. And we all have our sphere, and we all have our individual calls. But I'm telling you, when God gets ready to trust his valuable stuff, he's going to look for the ones that have done something with what he's already given them. So we have to repent before the Lord with any agreement with a socialist mindset. But watch this. This says, somebody owes me something. Now that got a real big moan. Nobody owes us anything. And you can say, I know you can say, well, you rich, spoiled American. I know you can think that. But it's not true. I am not a rich, spoiled American. If you only knew, if I had time to tell you stories. I just understand the principles of the kingdom. That I can't say, well, poor pitiful means somebody owes me something. That's a poverty spirit. And God wants us to repent of that because that says we're in agreement with it and it has a right to determine our destiny. So I have to repent for those things. Let me give you the one, just one more. The devil will use our lack of understanding of God and our works mentality rather than trusting and moving in grace to stop us from the prosperity God wants. I'm just going to do this real quickly. Matthew 20, verse 15. There's a story where the, the master of the vineyard went out and hired laborers throughout the day. <laughs> and the one who worked one hour got the same wage as the one that worked all day. And the one that worked all day had a real problem with it. You have made these equal to us that has borne the burden of the heat of the day. And the master said, friend, I know, do you no harm? Is it not right for me to do with my own what I want? And watch this. Or is your eye evil because I am good? And watch this. The one who worked all day got the same wages. I mean, worked one hour, got the same wages as those that worked all day. You got to get this. That's called prosperity. In other words, for instance, if somebody made $10 an hour, those who worked all day would have made $120 for the day. But those that worked one hour made $120 for the hour. I said, I'll take that deal. I got to make a choice. I'm taking that deal. And so whenever they come and they get paid, the ones that worked all day got a real problem with this. And, and if you will, God says to them, is your eye evil because I'm good? Here's what the Lord said to me. I'm looking for some people I can so bless with prosperity that others will have a problem with it. I'm looking for someone that will love me, that will trust me, that will believe me. They will practice my principles. I'm looking for someone that I can so bless and demonstrate my goodness in them that the religious people will have a problem with it. I say, man, I'll be that. How many of you how many say, man, I'll volunteer. I'll volunteer to be that person that you will bless so much, that you could bless so much that everybody will be critical of me. you got to know, if you get blessed the way God wants to bless some of you, in fact, God, the way God wants to bless this nation, if you get blessed on that level, there's going to be a lot of people that have a problem with you. But that's what God said I want to do. I'm looking for somebody 
I can so demonstrate my goodness in that others are going to have a problem with it. Now watch, if you're one that has a problem with it, then you've just cut yourself off from that blessing yourself. Amen? So would you stand up with me? My time's up. I just want to pray. How many of you want to go before the courts, get the legal rights removed so that the blessing and prosperity of God can come? Because I can feel it in my spirit. I'm telling you, I can feel it in my spirit. There are those in this room that you think, well, we ought to be really majoring on the spiritual stuff. Let's go after the move of God. Let's no, Listen, we're not saying not do that. But guys, this is the spiritual stuff. This is the spiritual stuff. A mindset of a church in the nation must shift. Because the church is going to determine the destiny of the nation, not the politicians. And if the church doesn't have the right mindset then it's going to take the nation in the wrong way. There's no continent that has been as evangelized as Africa. But because we haven't understood the gospel of the kingdom and not just the gospel of salvation, there's not been a reformation of culture. But God's shifting that. Through, through this ministry and many others like it, I believe God is shifting that. So would you just say this with me? Say, Lord Jesus, we come to stand before your courts. And we repent for any and everything that has allowed poverty, lack, and need to control us. We would say, Lord, we would be like Isaac, who sowed in the years of famine. And the situation in the culture did not dictate his life. Lord, we say, we are your kingdom people. And we would come before you in this court. And we would ask, Lord, that every agreement with any spirit that would allow it the right to claim us and determine our destiny, we repent of that agreement. We ask for the blood to speak for us. We ask for its voice to be silenced. And we say, Lord, let only what is written in the book of destiny about me and about my nation, let that be the thing that now speaks in my behalf before your courts so that not only does my situation change, but the situation in the nation begins to shift. And we thank you for it, Lord. We simply present this before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a good praise, would you? Amen. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.